0: Well good morning everyone! Good morning. Good morning. You know this uh, this app business that they were just talking about, right? This is a perfect opportunity, the perfect weekend, that right when the sermon gets boring, you have a reason to just get on your phone and be like, oh, I'm downloading the app, right? And and kids, if your parents get on your case, go, hey, I'm downloading the app. They just told me to do it, right? So you can be on your phone the whole entire service. Praise the Lord. Okay, so uh, this is going to be the primary way that we're going to get in contact contact with you whenever we do an announcement that where we say register now we can send a push notification that it kicks up and you can automatically sign up uh, a lot of us um, sometimes want to be able to get the sermons and the stuff Online very quickly the app is going to be able to do all that stuff for you So by all means make sure to download the app before you head out today Um, and I will know exactly when the sermon is lame because everyone will be doing it. Okay. Praise the lord um and then one other thing, I, I have one other announcement for you, but it comes with Children Mail. Everybody like the Children Mail that I was doing last week? All right, I think Children Mail is awesome. So I got four of them for you today, and we're going to start with the, the first one. Uh, let's see, that's just sweet. It's by Luke Prestige, right? He wrote this during VBS, and we put I think we put a copy of that on the screen. Let's see here. Dear Pastor Lance, Thank you for helping to teach people about God. You do so much for our church. Thank you. Oh, isn't that cute? Luke knows what I'm giving for you. All right? Luke understands it. So if I ever need affirmation, I'm going to Luke. All right? The other one, this is, unfortunately, I separated it from the envelope, so the little one's name is not on here. But it says this, Dear Pastor Lance, thank you for being such a good pastor. You are very, very funny and a good guy. So uh, we've gone out a number of times to coffee, stuff like that. They know I'm a good guy, right? That's excellent. Um, and then I got a couple fancy ones, right? So we're gonna we're gonna start out with older sister here. So we have, I think we're doing some uh, explosions, right? Of fireworks, I think that's what we're doing on the back. This is from Olivia Couchman. She is five. No, wait, five and a half. Do you see that? <laughs> Don't cut that out, right? Here we go. Dear pastors, we made these for you. Thank you for teaching us about God like Paul did. So our teaching is equal to the Apostle Paul. That's all I heard right there, right? So Apostle Parnell, Apostle Lance, stuff like that. It's just normal. All right, let's move on. Uh, her little brother, Harrison, age three, uh, his penmanship is excellent. I just want to point that out. <laughs> Uh, you can't tell, but there's drawings behind it. I love you, and I want you to have a good day, Pastor Lance. I love you, and thank you for preaching. These cookies are for you. Isn't that so cute? The cookie. Okay, so there's a story about the cookies. Thank you for asking. Uh, there's a story about the cookies that the little couchman people, uh, they brought in cookies, I think according to the list there, for me. I don't know if you saw that or not, but it actually said Pastor Lance on there. By the time I got to the cookie plate, there was one half cookie left. (laughs) Don't get me wrong, it was an awesome half of a cookie. But the rest of the plate was gone. Either Santa did like a sneak attack, right, or the rest of my staff just ate them all. All right, so, Couchman children, I want to tell you thank you, thank you, that that half a cookie was incredible all right there we go okay there we go no guilt whatsoever here I have glitter on everything uh, on my notes right here all right that is it for announcements why don't you take out your Bibles and the handout sheet that was given to you at the front door and we can begin we are in part four of our seven-part series through the book of Micah and it's entitled who is like our God that's the series title And today's message is entitled, I have been to the mountaintop, and I want to draw your attention to the fill in the blank with a couple thoughts. Do y'all remember the old series called Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby? Anybody remember that one? Kind of took the church by storm, right? Love that series. I've only taught three books from the pulpit or I taught out of them, and one of those was Experiencing God. He had a phrase in there that is always locked into my psyche, and it was basically this. You cannot go with God and stay where you're at. You cannot go with God and stay where you're at. Remember, God is on the move. God is always out there taking new territory, bringing new freedom, loving in a new, fresh way on new people. We cannot say, I want to go with God and still stay in our comfort zone. It demands that we move out. It demands that there is a change in perspective and a change in behavior, right? As a matter of fact, as the Holy Spirit is transforming us, He also wants to work through us to lead to the transformation of the people around us. That's kind of how Christianity goes. But how is he transforming us? What about those days when there is discouragement? What about the ways in which we want to go deeper and higher with God? There's an old song that basically sings through this verse from psalm 3 3 some of you will remember it but you O lord are a shield about me you're my glory you're the lifter of my head y'all remember that song that's almost back to the deer panting song era you know what i mean (laughs) like i think we're going back a little ways here the idea of God being the lifter of our head what do you think that means I think it means that human nature and even in a lot of animal kingdom when there's discouragement or exhaustion or weariness the head drops right it's this idea like if you're on a long walk eventually you don't hold your head up anymore you get so tired you kind of droop your head And it's almost as if Jesus comes along our lives in our weary times and He lifts up our chin and lifts our head and He says, honey, it's going to be all right. It also seems like He then turns our head while He's holding it up and He says, take a look at the world around you. We got this. You don't have to be so down and discouraged. I'm right here with you. The idea that when we are walking with the Lord, as we're following the Lord, He is blessing us and encouraging us. He's remaking our identities. He's taking out that which is dysfunctional and placing that which is immovable. And that leads us to the fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you. The closer I follow God, the higher I go in Him. You see, God wants to lift us up. He wants us to live above our circumstances through hope. He wants to live beyond our challenges through faith. He wants us to live under his protective banner. This is the God that we serve. You know, if you are brand new to this series, about 2,700 years ago, a prophet by the name of Micah, He prophesied in Jerusalem in the southern portion of Israel and he was revealing a letter or a thought or a message to the nation of Israel that was in rebellion and he said guys God is going to bring judgment upon us of that I am certain we have so lost our way we don't even know what we're doing anymore we have become the bad guys and as he talks about the re-racking through judgment It's right here in the chapter we're going to study that there's a beautiful oasis of encouragement and hope and power and strength. So the message I have for you today is extreme encouragement. It is actually one that if you walked in and your tank was low... I want it filled by the time you go if you walked in and you were feeling good and ready to rock right and everything's excellent By all means. I hope God fills you up and you start spilling over on everybody else, right? If you've got a extra encouragement, make sure to hand that off to somebody on the way out, right? Just encourage them and boost them up because the message that we have right here in this book that has always been kind of labeled as just judgment We see purpose and value and hope and encouragement. Let's dive right in. Turn with me to Micah chapter 5. Micah, excuse me, Micah chapter 4. It is page 778. Micah chapter 4, page 778 in the Bibles under the seat in front of you. Still brushing off glitter. All right, Micah chapter 4. I'm just going to read the first two verses. Because as we lay out the framework for the rest of this chapter, most of it all comes in the first two verses. All right? Let's take a look at this. Micah, prophesying for God, says this, It shall come to pass in the latter days. What are the latter days? You see, to a Jew, there was really only two eras. There was former days and there was latter days the former days were before the Messiah and the latter days were after the Messiah. In other words, once God comes and starts fixing stuff, you're in the latter days. All right. It shall come to pass in the days after the Messiah that the mountain of the house of the Lord, that's Jerusalem, shall be established as the highest of mountains. All right, clearly this is figurative. Why? Because Jerusalem's only 2,400 feet above sea level. We are currently at the foothills of Tahoe that's over 7,000 feet high. This is but merely a molehill in comparison to the Sierra Nevadas, right? So he doesn't mean literally. He means figuratively, symbolically. It will be raised up as the highest of heights, It shall be, the book says, lifted up above the hills and peoples, different people groups shall flow into it. They're drawn to it. They're seeking it. And many nations shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord in Jerusalem, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and we may walk in his paths all right beautiful picture yeah this idea that the whole world would what pilgrimage all the way to jerusalem just to hear the wisdom of jesus christ being preached anybody see any problems with this vision yeah we got two big ones number one nobody likes israel so first of all we have to somehow change the world view of israel Now, Israel has always been despised and degraded and always had all this difficulty. So how in the world is there going to come a day when people are longing to go to Jerusalem? How is that going to happen? And second of all, the Bible says they're going to hear the wisdom of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you're tracking, but right now Israel's not pro-Jesus. So you need to get Him in charge. You need to have Judaism becoming a fulfilled Judaism to where it's Messianic and now they believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord and King. How's that going to happen? You have to understand, this prophecy, I get it, it's 2,700 years ago, it was just as impossible then as it is now. How in the world Will God get everything to center around Israel and have Him be King Jesus over that place? It's going to take a lot of move of the Holy Spirit. It's going to take a revival in the nation of Israel to recognize the true Messiah. It's going to take a revival of the world in order for them to want to be led and trained By King Jesus, yeah? But here's what's interesting to me. Do you realize that Israel as a nation is 8,000 square miles? You go, I don't understand. It's smaller than New Jersey. The whole entire nation of Israel is smaller than Massachusetts. It's tiny. The city of Rome is a thousand square miles bigger than the entire country. One city. How in the world can something so small become so influential? Is that possible? It is. Now you have to understand, when I talk about the Jewish people, I talk about them as family members. I am not Jewish, but you see I'm a Christian. And Christians are grafted into the family of the Jewish people. Therefore, they are my family now sometimes i'm tough on my own family right but you have to understand there's always a love and a respect that is in there whenever i talk about israel i talk about anything jewish that that is my ancestors that is where we as christians all got gathered in and brought in the idea that america is tied to israel drives the world nuts Why because they would love to just come in and crush them and get rid of them But they can't because there's two huge bodyguards behind them. One is called America. The other one is called God (laughs) Right, do you understand what I'm saying? So it's very difficult to crush out This nation now tons of people have tried tons of people want to do it as a matter of fact Not until 1948 did they come back into being a nation-state But here's the deal As little as they are they always seem to be in the news is it possible for something so small to be so influential ah here's interesting side note do y'all realize that limited size doesn't limit influence okay which was a better king king saul who was tall good-looking and strong or king david who was ignored by his family as the youngest son that didn't matter who was a better king king david Why? Because God is not limited by what the eyes see. God is not limited by any of that stuff. I'll get to that in one moment. But I did kind of a weird study. Think about these nations, these countries, who have been world dominant powers, each in their own time. And let me tell you how big they actually are. Everybody familiar with the Greek Empire? Yep, pretty clear. I think we're all still feeling the reverberations of the Greek Empire do you realize that Greece is only slightly smaller than Alabama right well that's kinda weird ran the entire world what about Italy y'all heard about the Roman Empire once again I already told you the city was 9000 square miles the entire country is what just bigger than Arizona what about Portugal in the 1400s and 1500s they were doing all the expeditions they were running the world as a matter of fact brazil one of the largest nations of the world speaks what portuguese Portuguese. because of portugal do you realize that they're the size of maine well what about spain they're the size of nevada and colorado combined what about france in the 1700s was the most powerful country on the planet they're a little smaller than texas what about england is it is the size of alabama germany is a little bigger than new mexico in other words none of them are the size of america yeah. and yet you go well america's dominant hold on i agree we are the dominant superpower and when you look backwards absolutely but do you realize how young we are we start we just celebrated july 4th we're like yay 1776 <laughs> europe's like we got underwear older than you right <laughs> The Middle East is like we count in the thousands, right? We don't count in the hundreds. You guys are just babies. But understand this, massive superpowers, little tiny space. Why? Because when God determines to raise up or to tear down, nothing can stop it. Nothing in your life is going to shut down the power of God. How do we know that? Because Jesus took... A few loaves and a few fish and made them feed thousands he took a simple stick in the hand of Moses said lift it up and the Red Sea parted here's the deal your limitations don't limit God how do I know that I'm a living testimony my mom is here she knows when I was little I could not go into the grocery store. I could not go into the mall. Why? Because I had social anxiety and I couldn't be around groups of people. What do I do for a living? Come on, right? Okay, in other words, whatever you think is limiting you, whatever you think is shutting you down does not shut God down. Your limited influence now does not dictate your future. I was growing up in the 80s. You know who one of the champions of the faith was in the 80s and still continues to have massive influence today was Johnny Erickson Tata. You all know this? Who was she? A young girl that dove head first, snapped her neck, and is quadriplegic. But yet somehow her writings, her ministry, her influence went worldwide. You would think that not being able to move below the neck would wreck your chance at a worldwide ministry it does not we need to understand that when god whispers and god calls and god says come on kids let's go do this he can make anything small become massive because god is unlimited yeah So, once again, as I'm trying to breathe life and hope from the Scriptures into your heart, I need you to receive it because it's not a pie in the sky. It's just factual. It's how God always works. He took the band of disciples, not from the spiritually elite, not from the wealthy per se. Most of them left their jobs. They gave up everything to follow Him. He was a homeless, traveling preacher. And yet he used them, average, ordinary men, to launch Christianity, a ministry that dominated the planet. That's incredible. So please do not ever say, but God, I am only. The whole Bible is full of stories of God, I'm only. And God said, but I'm more. Right? Amen? Okay, couple things. Now, Micah's prophesying that there will come a day when Israel will become world dominant, that King Jesus will be ruling from Jerusalem. When will that happen? Well, it's actually called, I don't know, I just went through puberty right there, it's actually, it's actually called the Millennial Kingdom right why because millennia means thousand years it's a thousand year reign of christ if you jump into revelation chapter 20 you find out that there's going to come a day or there is a day where god takes satan and his influence and binds it and allows the church to flourish and allows his influence to flourish and the world has a massive revival in the end of that thousand years, Satan is released, tries to stir up trouble, there comes a big war, and then boom, everything finishes up. When is that going to happen? Well, there's three options, right? Three options. You have premillennial, postmillennial, and awe millennial. What do they mean? It's very easy. Premillennial means jesus is going to come before the thousand years and set everything up and you would know that you believe this if you've ever had thoughts like this israel and the church are two separate groups meaning that when jesus comes back he's going to bring back alive some of those christians that were lost in the tribulation to help him reign as he sorts out things with israel and he finishes promises that he's given them historically. If you've ever thought about the whole left-behind thing, anybody ever thought about that? If you ever have this idea of a rapture, or you think about anything with Kirk Cameron, <laughs> you're probably thinking pre-millennial. It's that same concept that everything's going to get worse in the world, and then Jesus is going to come in, there's going to be a significant event, and he is going to physically reign in jerusalem if you've ever believed that you're premillennial Postmillennial means jesus is going to come at the end of his reign you go well, what does that mean it means that jesus has already begun his gospel he's already he came once he already started his influence it's going to build and build and build ultimately leading to a massive revival in the world and it's going to usher in king jesus who walks in victorious and says this is my throne that would be post-millennial what about the other one All-millennial. that one has got far more focus in the last maybe 50 100 years it means there is no literal reign of jesus millennial means it's all figurative. It's all symbolic. But ultimately what happens is that Jesus has started his kingdom. The enemy is still fighting. They're all kind of going at each other. And ultimately it just has to culminate in the end of the world. But there is no literal millennium. There is no literal kingdom here on earth. There is no revival in Israel. It just finishes because God's doing all of that spiritually right now. When Jesus came, he said phrases like, I'm binding the strong man so that you can plunder his house. What did he mean? He meant he already bound Satan. And now believers are now what? Plundering his house with the authority and power that they operate in. Those are your three options. So which one is it? I have no idea. Okay, so I don't even really care. Here's the deal. Here's the reality. The reality is in every single view, what is the truth? Our Jesus is coming back. That is where we must camp our heart. Why is that so important? Because when Jesus comes back, he makes it right. Everything that is wrong is made right. Why is that important? Because for the believer, there is no trial or tribulation or pain you are going through that is eternal. It's always temporary because Jesus is always going to return. He's either going to return in our lifetime or he's going to fix it when we pass from glory to glory so christians never have to believe that what they're going through right now will always be that is impossible king jesus always makes it right amen And once again, it's practical. I'm not trying to just fake things out and give you false hope. I'm telling you, it's how the Bible is written. It's what Christianity is based on, that one day we will be okay. Now, do you understand the power of hope? It's so significant. It's one of the problems with chronic pain. If, if a doctor said to you, you're going to have a rash all over your body but I've given you something and it's only going to last two weeks, you pretty much say, I can do it. But if you just have the rash that's terrifying all over your body and everyone goes, I don't know what it is and it may always be that way, despair tends to come in because we don't believe that there's hope that it can change. Do you understand? Some people are living, even Christians, are living with a belief That everything is always going to be horrible. And despair has come in. Despair has no place in a believer. I understand that some of us, just like I struggle with anxiety, some of us struggle with depression. I understand that you don't want to feel that way. What I'm telling you is just as my anxiety is irrational, your despair is irrational. I know you feel it. I know you struggle with it. I'm just telling you it's not real. I'm telling you that as hard as it is on your body, I know the facts. My Jesus has laid out the facts. And there is no reason for despair in the believer. There is no reason for anxiety and fear in the believer. I get it. I still wrestle with it. It's just not real. Right? But here's the point. We need to allow for all of us that don't struggle with chemical imbalance and stuff like that. We need to allow the truth to set us free. We need to allow that hope and that encouragement to soak down into our spirit and begin to own the reality that God will make it right. If you ever get prayed for by me and you're going through something that is hurting you, I will tend to use the same phrase. What is that? I always try to look in your eye or pray over you and say this phrase. It won't always feel like this. Why? Because I'm infusing hope and trying to give you a truth that you can't feel right now. Right? And I want to be the one to remind you, Jesus is working on it. It's not always going to feel like this. I remember whenever uh, I've gone through loss, whenever I've gone through something that was significantly wounding in my life, I just felt terrible, and it was hard for me to see beyond it. But you know what? I don't feel the same way today as I did then. God is working on it. We just have to be confident of that. All right? Let's keep moving forward. Pick it up in the second half of verse 2. It says this. For out of Zion, this is how God's going to bring about transformation. For out of Zion, or Israel, shall go forth the law, the truth, the word of the Lord, the gospel from Jerusalem. He, meaning Jesus, the word of God, shall judge between many peoples and he shall decide disputes for strong nations far away. Meaning that's worldwide influence. And they shall beat their swords of war into plowshares of agriculture and their spears of fighting into pruning hooks of harvest. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree in peace and enjoyment. And no one shall make them afraid anymore. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. For all the peoples walk each in the name of its God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. As God is bringing about transformation, we need to be true salt and light today. We need to be the transformation agents right now. We do not just get to kick back and sit and say, God, you do everything. He can do everything. He doesn't want to do everything. So we need to be actively involved. The point of salt is it makes a difference in the flavor. The point of light is it makes a difference to the darkness. The point of Christians is they matter, and society is better because we're here. Amen? Amen? That's how it's got to be. Praise the Lord. Verse 6, In that day of restoration, declares the Lord, I will assemble the lame meaning the hurting and the unable. I will gather those who have been driven away in attacks and persecution and gather those whom I have afflicted through judgment and correction. And the lame I will make the faithful core, the remnant, and those who are cast off or ignored And rejected, I will make them a strong nation of my people. And the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. And you, Jerusalem, O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come, the former dominion, the control, the rule shall come, kingship for the daughter of Jerusalem." What did he just say? Right in the middle of all this judgment, right in the middle of all this correction, he said, you will be strong again. That's hope. That means that their correction is not just death. Their correction is for restoration. In the history of this church, we've had as an elder board to do a couple church disciplines we have asked maybe two i can think of in 20 years people to leave the flock of bridgeway why would we do that because they were significantly harming other people in the flock that's called a protective measure but understand this every time we did it our heart was always for restoration That one day the Lord would heal the toxicity and they would be restored back to the family. Because even though they're struggling, they're still family. Boundaries don't mean you're not family. Boundaries don't mean you've been rejected forever. It's just boundaries. And what that means is we want to gather them back into the fold. That's God's nature. Oh, God's mad at me. God's judging me. God's correcting me. He's still your God. And He's just trying to get you home. Right now, this is necessary. But it's not forever. Let's finish this out in verse 9. Now then, why do you cry aloud? In other words, why are you freaking out? Is there no king in you? Meaning God said you forget, I'm your king. Has your counselor perished? That pain seized you like a woman in labor. Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you shall go out from the city. Dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon. Okay, what did he just say? The scariest thing ever. Israel, I'm going to judge you and I'm going to kick you out of your land and you're all going to go in exile to a foreign country called Babylon. You have to remember, at this time, Babylon isn't really on the scene. They're only rising up. This isn't going to happen for another hundred years after Micah talks. But this is a prophecy. This is God calling his shots ahead of time. This is God saying, you're going to get kicked out of your land. Right there everybody would just fall apart. Oh, God hates us. He doesn't want anything to do with us anymore. How dare he say things like this? I need you to look at the metaphor again. What did he say? He said, it's like a woman in labor. What do we know about labor? Well, first of all, I'm a dude, so I know nothing about labor. <laughs> I get it. But let's talk theoretically. What do we know about labor? By definition, it's temporary the idea is laboring toward something that is horrific as it is. It is not permanent. It is a process. Therefore, what is the analogy he's using? It hurts right now. It will not always feel this way, right? And then he just said, but it's going to get brutal. You're going to go to Babylon. But look at the next line there. You shall be what? Rescued. Rescued. Whoa, whoa, whoa. God, I think you got this wrong. I thought you just said we were getting kicked out of our land and we're going to go in exile. Oh, I did. But there you will be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. God's not done. He said, now many nations are assembled against you saying, let her be defiled. Let our eyes gaze upon Zion, but they don't know the thoughts of the Lord. They do not understand his plan that he has gathered them as sheaves to the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, O daughter of Zion, for I will make your horn iron mighty for war. I will make your hooves bronze in strength. You shall beat in pieces many people in victory and shall devote their gain to the Lord, their wealth to the Lord of the whole earth. What's his point? We always assume that God's restoration is a clean, direct route. It is not. He will take you through some nasty times. He will take you through some dark places. He will take you to things that you never believe you will come back from. But God always has the map. God always knows how to get back home. When we break a vase, we see the shattering of the pieces. We can only see the big pieces. God sees the dust. He knows how to restore that vase back to the way that it was. He knows every single part of it. And any part that is lost, he can restore by his own bare hand. Do you understand? What I'm trying to tell you is whatever you are going through, nothing that truly matters is truly lost. He's got you. Even in that exile... You will be redeemed. You will be strengthened. You will be remembered. You will be brought whole. You will be reconciled. That's what the Bible says. God always keeps His promises. The way to have hope is to reverse engineer. Where's it ending up? And let me back up and keep that in mind. Where are we headed, y'all? To glory. Where are we headed to hope? Where are we headed to freedom? Where are we headed to life? Where are we headed to possibility and adventure? We have to keep that in mind today to live through the difficulties of the everyday. Y'all following me? Hope is the natural outcome for the believer May you be filled with it. Can we have the prayer team come on up here? Let's just close this out. I'm just going to pray over you. I'm just going to pray two things. One of them is that God would shower down peace upon you. The second one is that the Holy Spirit would raise up hope and encouragement from deep in your spirit. If you guys are thinking, man, that guy's manifesting the Holy Spirit all over the place. That would be the glitter from all my little pictures. Okay, praise the Lord. Let's just pray. Heavenly Father, would you release upon this place your peace? In your word, you describe yourself as the Prince of peace the god of all comfort the one that restores the one that sees i just pray god that right now that everyone that can hear my voice that lord that you would release calm and ease and strength and energy and power for us to do your will for us to have hope for not just another day, but enough energy and hope to last us. God, I'm praying that You, Holy Spirit, inside each and every believer, each and every temple in which You dwell, I pray that You would begin to emerge out from within, rising up hope, rising up the strength, making our backs Strong, lifting our heads high to know that there is nothing that will stand against us that we cannot win with your help. God, I pray against discouragement in Jesus' name. I pray against weariness in Jesus' name. I pray against burnout in Jesus' name. I pray against all the feelings of despair in Jesus' name. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would anoint this altar right here with these prayer warriors that they would be able to pray increased breakthrough in each and every one of us that needs an extra dose of you. God, the reason why we walk in this place as a gathering together is not just for one another. It's for an intensified presence of God. Lord, in this house, in your house, would you release your power here. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful week. See you next time.